This podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. I'm your host, Jordan Donnelly, and on my left is former Australian Ironman champion and head coach of Trivelo Coaching, Jared Donnelly. As an age group athlete, you have one, two, or three key sessions each week that you just have to get right. These are your quality sessions that are contributing to most of your fitness gains, and it's absolutely crucial that you aren't wasting these sessions. But not only that, we all have limited time to give to training each week, and we don't want to waste any sessions at all. So in today's episode, we're going through four types of training sessions that you need to be avoiding if you want to be getting the most out of your training week. As always, this episode is brought to you by by our proud sponsor, Giant Australia, for all your bike training and racing needs, ride life, ride giant. Dad, welcome back to another episode, starting with our normal first segment, what are you grateful for? Thanks, George. Uh, what makes you slower? That's going to be a good topic. Yeah, we don't want to have anything in our program that makes us slower, do we? Um, so mm-hmm. my gratitude is, look, for those of you who haven't uh, noticed that I haven't been able to be online very much in the last two days, it's because we had this really minor uh, weather uh, issue and um, we lost all power uh, and basically lost all of the ability to use our technology, which is my mobile phone won't work and still won't work and I'm probably four or five days in to uh, where we're not going to have power in our house or or internet or the phone. I can't use the phone. So I'm absolutely um, debilitated for work and the only way I can actually communicate is to get in the car and drive 15 minutes away and then get my phone to work and send some text messages and make some phone calls. And luckily enough... um, I'm at your uh, brother's house um, who lives 20 minutes away. So um, so I'm packing up everything from my office and moved it to here. And um, now I can actually function again. But it, it's just, it just makes you realize how much we rely on, on technology. Um, and having grown up with no technology at all, um, we didn't need it. But, but because our businesses are so structured around the internet and uh, the use of the mobile phone for communicating, um, it, it is really uh, you, you feel lost, and and I felt frustrated that I you know I can't get in contact with people who are asking legitimate questions about specific things, and and I'm sending text messages and it says unsent, unsent, unsent. <laughs> it's it's like I want to help, but I can't, and uh, unless I you know want to get in the car, and, you know, continually go down the hill, fifteen minute drive, and and get some uh, coverage. Um, I'm pretty much um, stuck. So you're grateful for technology? Is that your absolutely? Yeah. Uh, even though you know, growing up, I didn't re- realize that it was going to be such a big thing um, when we had none of it. Um, but our lives are just dependent on it now, and that's the way uh, society evolves, doesn't it? Um, you know, as as we get uh, more things available to us uh, to make things more simpler, uh, when they when they fail, things become very complicated. Uh, so mm. it's got good and bad. <laughs> if, if anyone's watching the video, it's uh, you know you've actually yeah gone to um, Matt's house to record the podcast, and so it's a bit a little bit of a different background to what you know. There's normally some bikes and the, a wahoo kicker in the background, and instead there's guitars and a piano because Matt's a bit of a musician. So <laughs> it's great. Um, my gratitude is a very easy one this week. Uh, I, I'm getting to see the Queen herself, Taylor Swift, uh, on Sunday night in concert. 
really excited about that. Big Taylor Swift fan, big Tay Tay fan. So um, it's going to be an epic show, three plus hours, and it's actually pretty historic. It's going to be her biggest set of three shows on her whole, her whole world tour because the MCG, where we're seeing it, is the one of the biggest stadiums in the world. So uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Now, Dad, before we move on, remind me again, when you're out riding in the hills and you love your long rides on your own out in the Dandenongs with nothing but you in the mountains, but if you do pass another cyclist, uh, of course, you're going to give them away. If you're not going to just ride past and ignore them, that's that's right. Spot on, George. And it actually reminded me this morning I was riding in the Dandenongs and there wasn't a lot of people out, but almost bar none, every single person either gave me a quick wave or a nod. And... As I was riding uh, throughout the morning, I was thinking, oh, I wonder if they're actually listening to our podcast and we're really pushing this, give it a wave and give someone a nod as you, as you go in the other direction. Um, but it is a real, a, an unwritten thing that you should be, um, you know, just acknowledging that you're out there doing the same thing, whether you're out there having a great day or whether you're out there having a really tough, intense training session. Um, and even if uh, I had one guy pass me today and, you know, just said, hey, and, uh, you, know, I've, you know, good stuff going well you know stuff like that it's really it's really good and um i remember when i were first moved to the danny nongs back in 1987 and i never saw a bike rider ever in the first two yeah. or three years uh, when i was training there uh, it just wasn't a place where bike riders rode um unless you were there on the weekend and i was there during the week training um and if i did see someone I almost chased them down to say hello because it was <laughs> so, so few people were actually on their bikes riding. Um, um, so yeah, it's it's come a long way since those days. Uh, uh, but you know, there's <laughs> literally thousands of people ride the Dandenongs now. Um, it's it's like a a mecca on the weekend. I'm very similar. Growing up running, I would never see another runner. And now when I go for a run, I'll pass 150. And I'm so I'm just as enthusiastic as you. Whenever I see a runner, I'll give him a nod. I'm giving 150 nods per run now <laughs> running in, in Melbourne. But it is an un- unwritten rule. And another part of it, the athlete's unwritten rule is that if you find these podcasts valuable and enjoyable, we want you to take a screenshot for us on your phone, add it to your Instagram story, and tell us why you liked it. Uh, the reason why is because we do all these episodes for free. We give out our best coaching tips to help you out there train smarter and race faster. And we hope that you'd like to honour that agreement and tag us and and help us spread the word. Yeah, just before we move on, George, I just want to acknowledge going on from this um, topic that we're talking about. And it's really great that we're at a local event on the weekend. And uh, so many people came up and said they're really grateful for the podcast and love the episodes. And they're basing all their training around um, everything that we're that we're saying on the podcast, which is really great to hear, and so you know, it, do that. Put it on social media and and like us and promote us, and th- that would be really helpful to us. And and you know, coming up and saying hello at a, an event is absolutely uh, what I want to want to experience, and, it, and it's a it's a great feeling to meet people. I met a couple of new people on the weekend, and uh, I saw them after the event, saw them before the event and after the event. Amazingly, you run into the same person. There's probably 2,000 people there, and I was able to say, how did you go? And, you know, really happy uh, conversation. So, um, yeah, use social media, promote us that way. It would be really helpful for us. Thank you. Yeah, so true. Yeah. So, and hopefully they listen to these episodes, uh, this episode and figure out what training sessions to avoid. They've been getting a lot of what training sessions to do and what training sessions to avoid. So before we get into that, just a couple of notes of what's caught our attention uh, around the globe and some really, really sad news. This was honestly devastating and shocking. Um, as soon as it popped up, I thought I checked if it was April Fool's, to be honest, because um, it's just so heartbreaking to see. And 
marathon world record holder Kelvin Kipton and his coach died last week in a car crash and uh, just just an incredibly sad story. No way around it. You just feel so much for um, both their families and the Kenyan athletic community. Um, just for Kelvin Kipton, you know, someone that was we just the athletic world could not wait to see what he could do in the next ten years. You know, he's he debuted at two. He broke two hundred two on debut in the marathon. Looked to be a generational talent in the marathon. Um, he was looked like he was going to do going to do what no human could do and break two hours in a race, not in the controlled conditions that Kipchoge did, and go further. He his ability as a runner was just something we have not seen in a long time as a marathon runner. And yeah, he broke the world record on his third crack. Um, just just really sad. And and this year was it's it's not it's sad obviously. Um, for any anyone to die but um yeah it was just leaves such a hole in athletics you know this year was looking so promising the showdown between the old and the new Kipchoge versus him at the Paris Olympics this year that was going to be one of the greatest races of all time and just yeah it shows how short life is I guess it really shocks you when a 24 year old is taken like that um and his coach as well his coach has got a young daughter um yeah just just devastating to see yeah, it uh, reminded me of, you know, I can still remember probably a half a dozen, uh, uh, or you have to call them tragedies when people die uh, unexpectedly. Um, Manchester United uh, uh, travelled on a plane and the plane crashed and pretty much the whole <coughs> the whole team was devastated. Um, um, some people survived, some people didn't in that plane crash. And, you know, that was another example of, um, you know, just a shock to... to to not, it's not a normal thing to, to occur, and especially at that le- at a, elite level. Um, the thing that was, you know, almost disappointing about the whole thing is that n- we're never going to see um, the matchup between Kipchoge and him at the Olympics this year. That that would have been something you know really Special. worth watching. Mm. Um, and yeah, just so many things that we're just not going to get to see. Um, from an incredible athlete uh, and you know, it could have um, offered so much to the athletics world on and especially the way he ran Jord it was it was you know music to our ears wasn't it that he mm. was the master of negative splitting and mm-hmm. and we pushed that we pushed that so much uh, in our podcasting um, about how the most successful athletes run this way and and he he had it down pat and you and I were talking off air a little bit before about um, uh, we've done a few reels on uh, talking about negative splitting and the re- comments we get back are this is so obvious you know why why would you be making such a thing about this everybody does this and you and I are laughing because you know watching you grow up as a cross country runner with your brothers going to you know six years worth of cross country races the entire field sprint at the start as hard as they possibly can and progressively get tighter as the race goes on in a 3k marathon uh, 3k cross country and and you know had you guys had me in your ears saying stop sprinting at the start and and just let the field go ahead of you and you will pick the field up as you go through that 3k and you were <laughs> you guys were the few guys doing that method of running and and it was you know you you got more out of it you got more success because you were running it uh, the right way rather than and, and you love doing it because it was fun passing people who'd blown up mm. um, and and I think you know they're really good examples of of uh, of how he, he was really making that 
um, one of his his uh, you know his kit bag things that he does so well. Yeah, it's it's funny that high school example because one of the comments on the video that we put up was. It was he was kind of trying to slam us and say this is so basic. This is basic coaching. You know, this is taught to all high school athletes. Like this isn't anything revolutionary. And I just said that proves my exact point that it's supposed to be taught in high schools. Yet every single high school cross country race ever is a is a one kilometer sprint at the start, a three hundred meter sprint into a one, like try try and run a seven k or eight k cross country race after you put yourself into that much lactic fatigue in the first three hundred meters. It's just hilarious, and it actually proves that point even more. Um, but yeah, you're right. That is the um, part of the legacy that he's left at such a young age. And you mentioned then that um, the most successful athletes negative split. And I want to clarify that term because it's not necessarily just about um, you know the fact that uh, more successful athletes negative split. Because Kipchoge is someone that doesn't negative split. He he tends to you know, run a bit slower and fade a little bit. He likes to go out hard. Um, but it's more about the feeling of the way you run. And we can guarantee that you could potentially maybe only run a little bit quicker negative splitting, but it's how you're finishing, which makes a world of difference. And if you're lucky by, you know, going out hard and hanging on, you will hang on, um, but it's really painful. Um, but if you're, um, if you do it the other way, it's just such a more positive experience and that's what makes it more successful. So yeah, to finish with a bit of his, his legacy, you know, it, it's, it's two things. It's the way he would run and it's the large volume of training that he was recording, which was just astounding to the world. You know, he was logging regular 220 to 240 plus kilometer weeks his his volume was just insane and a lot of people were asking was that sustainable but it was working for him he was doing 40 kilometer split runs on monday wednesday and friday you know it was 28k in the morning 12k at night and then his tuesday thursday saturdays were far like far like the morning like high intensity hour sessions with a pm easy jog 12 kilometers in the afternoon and then um sunday or sometimes thursday as well he was doing marathon race pace sessions of 30 to 40 kilometers just absolute monster weeks and that's what was making him such an efficient and good runner. And he, he didn't look like he was going to break down any soon. So, um, yeah, very sad to see, feeling for his families. But, um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about it. It's a bit of a tragedy. Yeah, um, you've, I think you've summed it up really well. An incredible athlete who's taken too soon. Mm, yeah. On the opposite side of the spectrum, uh, the Super Bowl was last weekend. And we were just talking about the traits of successful athletes last week. And, uh, it was just a great show of kind of that mindset stuff we're talking about. You don't have to like NFL at all to see that, you know, some athletes take their moments and um, you can take such inspiration from that as an age grouper to go that when it's your grand final, when it's your Super Bowl, you know, it's time to take your moment. Yeah, I'd look, I know you guys, uh, you and your brother Liam, uh, absolutely love this, the NFL football and um, you're in a tipping competition, so you're pretty well across it and, and I've tried to tried to get myself uh, to understand the game and its nuances. And um, but you can't take away um, champions at their craft. And to see Patrick Mahone do his thing at the end of that game with the whole, pretty much, you know, world watching it um, on telly, and to to be calm and cool uh, when it counted in la- the last ten seconds. Um, you know, there were so many things that could go wrong in that, and they could lose the actual match. And st- instead of trying to and trying to go extra overtime, they actually wanted to win it. Um, you know, that's what makes people step step up or 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 improve is taking your moment. And 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 first of all, you have to identify it, don't you? Um, and then and then have the skill to execute it. And and you know, whether you're in a bike race or in a, or in a uh, you know, a 10k run or 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 in a triathlon. You know, there's key 
key moments that you have to make good decisions. And, and this is what we're talking about. This is what makes champions champions is they just keep doing this. They keep, keep making good decisions at the right time to get perfect outcomes. Um, and that's what I love about watching champions. I don't care whether it's NFL football or, or World Cup soccer or, or the Olympics. It's just seeing the best athletes um, who are under the most pressure because they're expected to perform from outside pressure, but they don't have that. They don't have that outside pressure. Their expectations are, are their own, and that's what I love about it. Um, the, the champion athletes who crumble sometimes, they're letting the outside expectations dictate, and this is what he d- does so well. He, there's a whole lot of noise going on that he's not listening to. Yeah, He's in the zone of achieving his moment, and... That's the thing I love. Yeah, that's absolutely the key. No, it was great. It was awesome to watch. Love watching the Super Bowl. Sad as NFL season's over and looking forward to next year. And I wonder if they can make it three in a row. So moving on to the topic of today, four train sessions that potentially could be making you slower. And we want to clarify from the outset that none of these sessions are wrong all the time. You know, most of the time there are sessions that will have their place. I mean, we could just, we could pick out a, a ridiculous session and say, well, that's just silly. But um, these sessions that we're going to go through, they're common sessions we see where most of the time they aren't being done in the right context. And we wanted to pick these ones because, yeah, we see a lot of athletes doing them and we just want to make sure we clarify why you probably shouldn't be doing them or maybe when you could do them. And session one that we want to talk about is just this classic mixed zone session where, um, again, context dependent, this could be applicable, but um, these sessions that you see a lot of people doing where it's a little bit hard, it's a little bit easy, you might be riding with a group or not, but you're not really achieving either goal of it's not hard enough, but it's not easy enough. And then you do these mixed zone sessions too often, you're just kind of slightly fatigued all the time, just a seven or eight out of 10, but you're really just leaving so much gain on the table and you're just not really going to get anywhere. And I think the key point is doing a lot of these sessions. Um, now and then these sessions are actually really beneficial, but mm-hmm. doing them repeatedly uh, in, a, in a seven day period where you might end up having out of the seven sessions you do, you might have four or five of them with a mixed zone. And what do we mean by that? We mean, you know, uh, you are actually not specifically knowing what you're going to do today. It's you meeting your mates or going out by yourself uh, and saying, oh, yeah, I'm feeling like this now. Um, I'm not feeling too good. I'll just keep it easy. And then all of a sudden your legs start to feel good. And then the next thing you know, you're riding this next hill really hard. And and then you're thinking, oh, oh actually, I'm feeling really good now. And and you start riding the rest of the ride um, really solidly. And, and what's wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with that if that's actually the goal of the session for that day. That's perfect, brilliant. Give that a tick. But if that's what you did yesterday and the same thing happened, started slow, didn't feel so good, probably because you did it the day before as well, then this mixed zone style of training will gradually, the fatigue will gradually creep up on you. It won't happen in three or four days it could actually happen in three or four weeks where it just slowly you get tighter and tighter and that that little hill that you were feeling so good about two weeks ago when you could whip over it now you still think oh i'm good at this hill i'll 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 get out of the seat and i'll push over this hill you could be five or ten or fifteen percent lower than you were two weeks ago but you think you're riding the same and if you're using a power meter you'd see straight away that you're actually not and this is the session that we're saying that that, you know, doing too much of this is going to actually just get you tighter. It's, it's not actually going to get you any gains in fitness and not allowing you to improve if you do it repeatedly. And, and it's a bit of 
zone one, a bit of zone two, mm. you know, a big chunk in zone three where you're riding really hard, but not a lot in zone five or six. But there are sections in zone five and six where, you know, you're having a bit of a crack here and there on a, a little punchy hill. And then, you know, hardly any in zone four, but it's just, it's all over the shop. And, and you, you know, you get to the end of the ride going very satisfied with that. I, I had some hard bits and I had some, some, some easier bits and I feel like I'm improving and, and that is probably all true, but doing it day after day, that one mix zone session should be left for one session. Yeah. And we'll go through a key example of where it can work in that, in our last session, but um, you're exactly right. It's just the fastest way to plateau because there's just not enough stimulus being applied for you to get the quality out of, yeah, you're doing something in zone five because you're attacking a couple of hills, but you're just not spending enough sustained time there to really get a VO2 benefit, you know, and, then you're just tiring yourself out and you're just, um, you're just doing everything averagely. You know, if you're going to ride zone two, you're not doing enough in the zone two to get the benefit of a zone two ride. You can't go long enough with that pressure on the pedals. You're doing that tempo of zone three and four, but that's just kind of tying you out without really doing it with quality because you're probably a little bit too tired from a couple of VO2 max efforts. But again, there's not enough VO2 max work in there to get the VO2 max benefit. So it's just a whole bit of a whole lot of doing a lot of things not well, which is kind of why we want to avoid it. But there is an example of where we do mix sessions. And when we say mix zone sessions, every session has a bit of, you know, mix mixed in it you know your warm-up is going to be zone one or two and then you're going to do a little bit of tempo to get your body working but when we when we talk about the goal of a zone of a session we're talking about the main set so if we're talking about a vo2 max session again of course you're going to be in zones one to four in the warm-up but the main set is where you're really aiming to spend sustained time in zone four Um, and so let's say we take a zone two session for example this is where we mix it up a little bit is we give um, a lot of our cyclists, especially um, sometimes triathletes, but a lot of our cyclists, especially zone two with sprint practice. So the whole session is majority of it spent in zone two work, you know, really getting that aerobic benefit. But because it's not overly taxing, uh, you're putting five, 10 second sprints in there just to help these cyclists really you know, get a chance to practice that raw sprint power and really push a thousand watts plus for 10 seconds. Uh, it's not fatiguing enough that's going to affect the next day. Um, you get a lot of break in the sessions between doing it, uh, but it's just an example of where we do mix it up a little bit and you can have kind of two goals in the one session. Yeah, that's a great example. And, you know, the sprint should only be, you know, up, up to 10 seconds. And if you did the max effort at five seconds, that's actually what we're after. It's actually practicing the jump coming into a sprint um, in a race. So, you know, lining it up, um, making sure you've got the right gears and then really giving it some oomph and, and sprinting really flat out maxing out for five seconds and it might extend over 10 seconds that's not going to uh, do what we're talking about with a mixed zone session where you're you're repeatedly doing that we're we're just giving you some some opportunity in that zone two session where it's not going to be as fatiguing as if you're doing a mixed session we do also have an actual mixed session uh, by the way in our program where i'm trying to get our riders especially triathletes um and time trialers um to, to really ride some sections in zone three and then, um, you know, a really uh, extended period in, in their threshold and then riding some VO2 to finish with. And, and that's, that's one session we do. And we don't repeat that at all in a seven-day cycle. That's never repeated. That's only done once in a seven-day cycle. And, and it would only be in a, in, a, in a few blocks of training uh, where we're really trying to get specific to what, um, as a cyclist, you might experience in a road race, um, as a triathlete, the feeling of getting tighter in a 90 or 100 k, 180 K ride would be that feeling of fatigue that you would get from 
starting at sub-threshold, going into threshold and and then, you know, riding at VO2, you're, you're getting that feeling of, boy, this is fatiguing and, and the body can cope with that. But again, it's not going to be something I'm going to give you on a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. It's going to be once. Yeah. The next session to avoid is quite simply just running too fast and that's quite interesting. But basically, triathlon is an endurance sport and most triathletes don't need to run fast and that includes speed sessions, that includes hill repeats, which, you know, if you're a fan of this podcast, you know we love the hill repeat session and long runs as well. And so we want to cover those two right now, why you basically just should not should be spending minimal time running too fast. And we'll start with the speed sessions and this is one where we definitely don't want to copy the pros because the pros do a lot of track work. They do a lot of speed work and that's because they're running really fast across most distances. And even their Ironmans now, they're running 3.30 pace um, yeah, in a marathon in the Ironman, which is insane. So of course they need to be doing this speed work. But um, yeah, I mean, it comes down to a couple of major factors why we want to avoid this. Yeah, and look, um, initially it's it's protecting our our runners from injury. That is the most important thing that we that we are trying to do, but but we still need to have some intensity in our training, don't we? So so how are we going to do that without getting our runners to run really fast, four hundred meters or eight hundred meters on the track um, when it's an endurance sport? So so principally, we we get that from our bike sessions. We we're, we're going to get um, our riders and our and our swimmers to get that high intensity where their cardiovascular system is working maximally on those hard bike and hard swim sessions and really getting the benefit from that um, from that cardiovascular session and they're not risking um, a breakdown from an you know, Achilles or a calf or a, or a hamstring or, or whatever running injuries that most people um, have um, shin splints or you know stress fractures there's so many things that can happen if you do too many repeated high intensity sessions when your body is not used to absorbing that kind of load and the majority of people who listen to the podcast aren't professional elite athletes and therefore we're talking to people who maybe only have been running for a few years Um, some people have only been running for a few months when they start to do a triathlon and so they can't cope with that load and we've had countless experiences early on in our coaching where you know we just got athletes that that were just breaking down straight away and and so we learned from that experience and we've never done that since because we understood that the, you know the age group athlete has not the ability to cope with that intensity as a runner and so the load is too much and and they're still getting the the intensity where it's important and the outcomes we have from the guys who are, who are at the pointy end of our coaching group who are winning races and I'm talking overall age groupers winning overall age group 70.3s Running in the 70s re- for, for the half marathon leg of the half Ironman. Yeah. 75 minutes, 77 minutes. Yep. And they're, they're rarely are we giving them, um, you know, 12 weeks of uh, interval training uh, on the track. You know, we would be lucky to give them one block where they're doing, you know, three, three sessions in a three-week period where they're doing some intervals as we're trying to get them race ready for their next event. And that's an example of, of proving that you don't need to be doing high intensity interval sessions as a runner and they still run beautifully when it counts and running PBs, improving their running. Um, and, and that's yep. a measure of whether it's valuable or not. And that's why we're not encouraging people to, you know, we want you to cut this out and, yeah. and you will be you're so grateful that you have because you'll actually not miss many more triathlons because of injury. 
Yeah, and it begs the next question that even if you could handle it and the injury risk wasn't there, how many high-intensity sessions can a triathlete fit in one week? You know, if you've got a couple of hard sessions on the bike, you've got a hard BO2 swim in there and an endurance ride that might have some intensity or race pace intensity, it all starts to add up very quickly. So you probably can't even afford to fit a, a um, interval session, a high-speed work session in there anyway. So the next point on, on the, the running fast um, matter is that we want to make clarify the difference between hill repeats and hill sprints because we're a big fan of hill repeats, but we're not really saying we're a fan of hill sprints. Yeah, um, and I have, I've had to really um, be very clear in my instructions as to what we're trying to achieve in our hill repeats. And, and if you're running for a couple of minutes up a hill, you know, three minutes, four-minute hill repeats, two-minute hill repeats, one-minute hill repeats. You know, the idea for the m- most athletes is, oh, great, this is my opportunity to really max out. And we're not running 50 metres. We're running for possibly two, three or four minutes. So we're really trying to get uh, a pace that's, that's difficult and you're breathing hard and you're getting that strength from the hill, from the resistance from running uphill into your legs. But it's actually not risking you running fast um, because you can't run fast up a hill um, because, you know, you'll only last 30, 40, 50 seconds at, at, at most if you're trying to run it hard. And so we're actually not encouraging you to do that because, you know, it is not meant to be a sprint. It's meant to be at around your 5K feel pace, not your actual 5K pace. If I'm asking you to do a, five, uh, a hill repeat at 5K pace, then... That's not what we're saying, and that's what people get confused with is, oh, I thought you meant actually run at your 5K pace. I'm, no, I'm saying run at your 5K pace that feels like that. So if, if you know, you feel like your breathing's panting at 5K pace, well, that's what you should be replicating. If you're, if you're able to uh, run a 3.30 pace for a 5K run, you know, I don't expect you to go up the hill in 3.30 pace. I expect you to have the feeling of what that feels like to run 330k pace uh, when you're running on the flat in the hill. And, uh, and for some people, they're still not getting that. It's They're just running the hills too fast. And, and to be clear, I want it to be solid so that you are working and you are breathing and you couldn't have a conversation, but you could turn around, jog deck back down the hill and be ready to go again at the same intensity and repeat that, you know, up to eight or 10 times. Yeah, yeah, spot on. And we could go right, we could dive deeper into the Pandora's box list and talk about intensities, but I think you've summarized it quite well there. And the last point is um, the long runs need to slow way down. And this is what we talk about by avoiding just running too fast. Long runs, just it's it's about time on feet. It's just not about pace at all. And you just got to burn yourself out if you keep keep creeping that pace up. And and in a, in a training block of three or four weeks, we would want to do one of those weekends where we do want to run with some intensity, but the other three out of those four weeks, we would really like you to see to get as many undulating hills into your run if you can find them. And, and if you can't, drive to a place where you can and try to run them steady. And don't try and push hard for that hour and a half or hour 50 or two hours, whatever your program's asking you to do. Slow right down and be able to talk the whole way around. And then when you get to that fourth week, when we're asking you to do a more intense, longer run, that's a time where you can't talk. That's a time where you run with intent. And that's that, that's the difference between, you know, running the long run hard every week and, and doing it in the right way. And I think if you get that concept, then you will actually 
running slower in the hills will allow you to run that fourth run so much better. And you, your fatigue levels over that four-week period will be so much more controlled because you're not trying to recover from a hard, fast, long run. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then when we do give you that fast, long run, the next couple of days are the easy days. It's one of the biggest mistakes we see and the correction is a game changer for athletes is they try and run their long runs to pace. You know, you do a lot of other sessions to power or pace, um, percentage of threshold. Uh, and so a lot of people think, oh, I want to make this um, endurance run effective. I need to be in somewhat of zone two. And so they look at their zone two pace and try and stick to that. But that is just not ideal, especially if you're doing undulations, because if you try and hold that pace on an uphill, your heart rate is going to go through the roof. And so often the instruction is, completely ignore pace pay attention to your heart rate making sure that's not creeping up but also it's just the feeling of it should be very cruising anytime you get to a hill slow right down and if you have to walk a little bit to keep your heart rate down then that might be the the level you have to get to so that's the instruction is for majority of the long runs slow right down the next session is we're going to call them quote unquote ultra sessions and these are the sessions that we see athletes do where, honestly, it's a bit of fun. You might get excited with a friend or a mate or some friends and you want to do something a little bit crazy. You want to, your mate calls you up and says, let's do a 200K ride this weekend. You know, let's do an epic gravel ride or let's do a, let's do a 30K run. You know, I really want to go explore or, um, you know, people just, just jump into a half marathon um, without building up to it, you know, and, and we want to be really clear and not get this twisted that these can be really good for you. Uh, they can be super super valuable for you, these kind of sessions, but they need to be, if you want to do them properly, they need to be planned in and uh, you just need to think about the before and after of these kinds of sessions. Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more. They are absolutely valuable to be challenging yourself with something that's overloading your your fatigue. And and there's a, uh, I've just actually made a comment at the start of the week with someone and put it, they've got a 300k ride coming up and... Um, and I've got in the coaching notes, um, we need to discuss this and, <laughs> and, you know, it sounds, like, it sounds like a, it sounds like you need to go to the principal's office. <laughs> <laughs> well, pretty much that's what I want to, I want to make sure that before, before we, we just let that happen, uh, understand what are our goals and purposes for doing this. And there are lots of really good, uh, positives, uh, that would, could, could come about from this. Um, make no mistake about that. Um, we could go into a whole list of things, but I, I just want to talk about why, the, and this is what the topic is, reasons why we shouldn't do that um, a lot. And, and the, the main reason is because um, it will have an incredible um, impact on your fatigue. There is no doubt about it. Actually, during the ride, if you're doing 300K, and then possibly up to seven days later, you will still be carrying some load fatigue from that from that epic event, which would, you know, was it a great achievement and, and probably really pleased that you, you've, you've done that, um, that, what are we calling it, ultra session. Um, but, but if you don't actually uh, allow for recovery, then that actually could put you into a massive hole and could ruin your next three months of, of competing or training. And, and that's what we're trying to get the message across is um, if you do something like this, you've got to allow for the recovery. And, and, you know, I've got some athletes who are training for a big, a big event that's, you know, 250K, 4,000 metres of climbing. Um, and they're doing lots of big weekends, um, which, is, which is super important so that you can actually achieve the goal of that, that event that you're aiming for. But if you e- expect that you can train normally during the week 
and then repeatedly do these long weekends, then you will have the same effect. You will not improve. You'll progressively get yourself into a hole and go backwards. So, so yes, understanding that these events are okay now and then, and if you're wanting to do them a bit more, you have to adjust. And that's where having the coach um, in your ear saying, well, if you do that, the consequence is next week, we're just training easy. Mm. And and are you okay with that? And, and you know, the motivated athlete's not okay with that because, no, 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 I, I want to keep training. I want to keep training the way I am because I know mm. I'm getting better. The midweek training sessions are, are, I can feel myself getting better. I'm saying, yep, they are. But if you throw this one in, then we can't do that this week because you will start to actually not get better and get worse. Yeah, spot on. It's yeah, it's understanding the consequences, and often these these kind of challenges are pretty spontaneous. That's why they come about. But the less spontaneous you can be about it, and the more planned you can be, the more it can actually you can fit it in and you can do it properly. And because you know it potentially will ruin you for, for up to a few weeks at a time. Um, but if you're going to decide to do that, you might say, okay, if we want to do this, let's not just spontaneously do it this weekend. Let's look at it a few weeks in advance. Let's plan ahead. Let's look at how our training goes leading into it, knowing that if you're going to do it on a weekend, you need to have that easy week after or easy couple of weeks. And then you can plan it to have a really valuable effect because as you mentioned, uh, it, it is a viable training method to really overload your week or overload a session, um, really give your body a massive stimulus, you will actually you know, respond to that and get fit, and get fitter if you have a recovery period after. But like you just said, if you try to do it without doing that, then you're just going to go backwards because you'd be overtrained. So that's we, the key we do there. We do have an example, Jordan, you know, a couple of people we, we're coaching where I've given them some, you know, there's a couple of races that they wanted to do were nine hours in their, in their training. There weren't A races, they were B races. And and I'm encouraging them to go and do that, not because this particular athlete comes up really well after he's done this um, big endurance zone two type type of race ride, race in inverted commas. Um, but you know, but they understand that the next period after that is all to recover from it, and yep. then we can go again. And and that's that's how you put it into your session. But but this is a session that needs to be avoided at all costs unless you have all of these understanding rules around it. The last session that could be making you slower is any type of group session. And so we have spoken about this before, but we want to clarify, you know, not all group sessions are bad, uh, but it really depends on the context. And this was part of point one as well. But if we think about a bunch ride, you know, riding with your friends or, or a group run, you know, if you, if you jump to a run club or something and you want to run with friends um, or even swim squad, you know, what, why and when do we want to avoid these and when can it be useful? Yeah, it's a it's a controversial one. Um, we want our athletes to a be having fun in their training journey, and I think the group, the being with your mates, that epitomises. You know, you're doing the thing you love, whether it's running or riding or swimming or being a triathlete. They're the things you love doing, and why wouldn't you want to share that with the people who, who are you know just as into it as you are? So let's just get that out right from the outset. We are absolutely encouraging you to do group session, not sessions, group session. So, so have that in your program. And we've had so many of our athletes improve by getting them into a group session where we're using that unpredictableness. And that's what group sessions are, aren't they? They are random people all put together with different ability. And so you're going to get, um, you know, like we said in point one, you're going to get variations from zone one to zone six. 
And, and that's what actually is valuable about it. And that's why you should be using the group session. And that's why you shouldn't be overusing the group session. That's what we're saying. Do not overuse this session because you're going to end up with what we said in point one, just repeating a mixture of zones. And, and that's why we only want it used once because it's actually doing what we want. We want the unpredictableness of that. Some, some ego guy gets on the front and starts drilling it up a hill and there's an opportunity for you to say, okay, I'll go with that. Or you can say, no, I'll tap away and then get him on the next hill. And so you can have fun doing it that way. Um, uh, we had the experience when we went to the tour down under a couple of weeks ago where um, um, all these groups come from all over Australia and there's groups of you know, 10, 15, 20 guys all riding in bunches with all different abilities. And yet every day they had this group ride and um, I'm <coughs> sending out the warning bells before this starts because I've, you know, I've been going to the tour down under for probably 15 years and seen, seen guys um, do this group training for six days, seven days in a row where they're doing between 100 and 200K a day and the temperature is normally really hot and they've got this intensity every day where they're doing zone six, zone one, zone five, everything's thrown in every day, repeated. And, and you know, the people who ride this with, with some, some smarts who don't do that but, but still ride with their group choose on some days to ride softer and and not go with the attacks and and just meet them at the coffee shop you know halfway around the the day's uh in adventures they're the guys who come out of that week's training uh, where they've done group ride day after day after day with intensity um, they come out and they can they can have a recovery period and then they can resume their program the guys who have who've pushed it flat out and maxed themselves out day after day for six seven days they're done for the next month and i've 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 coached those people and, and, you know, I've said to them, you, you know, you, you're just going to really suffer because of what you've just done for that six-day period. And, you know, these are examples of, of what you, if you're going to do that, then the consequences are you need to do this next training this way. And, and we're not saying don't do this. We're just saying these are the consequences if you do do it. And that example of, of the Tour Down Under um, group riding, <clears throat> most people are doing that all year. They're mm. doing group rides five times a week mm -hmm. where they just repeated that same session of training. That's a reason why we wouldn't do it because we, we value all aspects of our training. So if we're repeating the same session with a group five times a week or three times a week or even two times a week, that's one time too many because we've got other sessions that are important to do, yep. such as a specific VO2 set, a specific threshold set. Yeah. A specific zone two set yep. where we don't want to have it mixed. We want to have it just zone two or just VO2. Yeah. Whereas the group rides got everything in there every day. And it's not allowing you to actually get the overload that we're trying to do. It's actually giving you the same session of training day in, day out. And, and that's why the group session, in our opinion, gets such a bad rap. But it can be used effectively, just like every one of the four points that we've talked about can be used effectively in the right context. And yeah, that's that's setting a goal and intention for the session is still really important. If it's going to be this this group session, if it's going to be a bunch ride where it's mixed intensity, like you've just described, the reason that it works so well in our group when we do those bunch rides is because uh, what you talk about all the time with, there's nothing like competition. And 
when we're looking for unpredictable periods of intensity, you are going to be able to ride harder up a hill when you're racing eight other people. You know, when someone goes off the front and they attack and you're going up this four or five minute climb or a two minute climb and it's, it's, you're treating it like a competition and you're going to get so much value out of that in experience, in intensity, and it's much easier to get more out of yourself than by yourself. So that's a major benefit of it. But before the ride, before the run or whatever it is, you want to set that intention and make sure that you're doing it deliberately and not just potentially making it up as you go. And it's this ability to say yes or no to things. So say no if it's not going to suit your purpose and say yes, but um, make sure that you're doing what you need to do. And this is such a simple solution, but just ask. You know, I, I definitely avoided training with people for a long time and realized I was really missing training with people because I would just flat out say no. I just say, it's too hard. You're not you're not doing the same program as me. I re- really am committed to this goal and I don't want to change my training. Whereas when you just have a conversation, you say, well, okay, I've got I've got to do this zone two run or ride this week. I've got to do the, this high intensity session. Um, would any of these work for you? And they say, oh, that day I could do an easy run as well. And so then you both are very clear on that that's an easy day. And so just those simple conversations can make a big difference. Yeah, and unfortunately, George, when you have those conversations, some people say that at the start of the <laughs> session and then... Halfway through the session, they're no longer talking to you. They're actually five meters in front of you and, and the session's changed. And, and that's what we're trying to avoid. Um, yep. And that's what you're talking about. Taking the, It's discipline, isn't it? To say, yep. okay, we are picking the pace up. I've got a choice here. Let my mate go and just ride where I want to ride. At least you've started the, the session together and you've had a bit of a chat. Um, but, you know, really, unless the session is deliberately trying to mix it up, then you need to stay with where you are and what the goal of the session is. Yeah, spot on. Well, that's been it for this episode. We hope you've enjoyed these sessions and we hope that you avoid the ones we've just spoken about unless the context is right. That's the whole purpose and point of this episode. So thanks as always for listening. And if you want to know the right sessions to do, if you want to get coached by us, if we have a coaching guarantee that if you don't improve in the first eight weeks, then the coaching is fully on us. You can just go to travelocoaching.com.au to apply for a spot. Thanks as always for listening. We'll see you in the next one. Thank you.